Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner and Conquer the Gauntlet Pro, Evan Preparis. I've got several guests with me on the line today with an insane amount of experience. Wait till you hear some of these stats. Before we get to that, though, a quick word from this episode's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Mythic Race. If you're not familiar with Mythic Race, it's one of the newest OCRs. They're running their first event in 2022. It is run by a Strength and Speed member. His name's William Shell. He was a former professional track guy. Ton of great experience. He's been traveling around, going to all these different races, getting experience, kind of taking lessons learned and applying them to his own race series. I know he's bringing in some some signature obstacles like Legaff that he's planning on building. And if you followed OCR America two when Hell Freezes Over, day seven was actually on his property, and we actually used obstacles that he built. So that's not where the race will be, um, but it's just showing you that he he knows what he's doing. He's built races or he's built built obstacles before and it's going to be some place in the middle of Missouri. I think registration is actually open. I'm going to go find that link and drop it in the show notes below. All right, let's get to today's episode. So I'm joined by three guests, like I said, with an insane amount of experience. So first I got Francis Lackner. Uh, he's 117 times Tough Mudder. So he's done 117 events. His first Tough Mudder was Wisconsin 2012. Favorite obstacle, Funky Monkey or Mud Mile or Double Rainbow. If we're talking world's toughest, which I agree with you, Double Rainbow was awesome. Um, and then he's done 10 regional toughest mutters, four world's toughest mutters, and 11-time Everest Angel. He's also the smallest of the Everest Angels, which will be relevant in a couple of minutes. So, Francis, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. All right. And if you thought 117 was impressive, I got Ryan Cray. He's done 131 tough mutters, which includes every world's toughest since 2013. Nine toughest. He's also at the first ever Tough Mudder Pennsylvania in 2010, which is insane. We're going to ask a bunch of questions about that. And uh, favorite obstacle changes every year. So, Ryan, welcome. Well, thank you for having me. And then finally, we have Joe Van Tassel, or JVT, as most people call him. 163 times Tough Mudder. First Tough Mudder was in 2013. A favorite regular event obstacle is King of Swingers. So, Joe, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, so got a lot of information to cover this episode. Uh, but first off, we're going to kind of jump around in time a little bit. So let's start off with, because some of our people may not know, you know, what is uh, Everest Angel? So, uh, Joe, why don't, you, why don't you take that one? Uh, Everest Angel was, you know, I, maybe Francis would be a little bit better to ask this to, but that kind of started in Chicago several years ago. Um, we were out for one of the regional toughest and, uh, you know, things weren't necessarily, I think, going anyone's way. And it just kind of became this thing that happened where we felt the best contribution some of us could be making was, you know, being up on top of Everest and, and doing what we could to help other people achieve their goals. Yeah. So, Francis, tell me a little bit about, for our listeners who, who may not be super familiar, right? Like Everest is the quarter pipe at Tough Mudder and you guys stand up there pulling people up all night. So. During one of these, it used to be eight, now it's 12-hour. How many people are you pulling over Everest? Uh, that, that's a good question. I, w- I would say, I mean, if if you've got, you know, four or 500 participants at an event, depending upon the penalty that uh, Tough Mudder sets out, you're doing probably, a, you know, at least half to two-thirds of the participants, and you're you're doing that person up the wall, helping them up and over, lifting them, pulling them, whatever it may be, you know, once every hour, two hours, maybe on average. So a good thousands of people essentially um, over the course of the, the event and, and the, the overnight period of time. Yeah. So you guys are up there pulling people up, uh, helping people achieve their goals, which is awesome. And I, I love seeing you guys up there. It brings a smile to my face every time. And I'm, I'm, we're going to talk a lot about Everest Angeling, but we're going to jump in the way back machine first and start off with the first Tough Mudder ever. So, Ryan, you were at the first Tough Mudder ever. Uh, tell me I a little was, bit about uh, that experience. So uh, nobody really knew what they were getting into on the first one because they did a lot of advertising. It was uh, a kind of new in the United States. You know, it was based off of Tough Guy in England, but I'd never heard of it before signing up for it. 
And uh, they were saying it was going to be the toughest event in the world. It was going to be so hard designed. You know, they had the sales pitch for a few years, but, you know, at first you kind of believed them. Um, and it was it was hard. They had it on a, uh, a ski slope, which uh, is kind of like a signature move of Spartan race, but Tough Hunter used to do it uh, more frequently. And I was terribly out of shape, so it was real hard for me. It, uh, it didn't turn out the way they expected it to because they said it was going to be freezing cold and this and that. And it wound up being a 70-degree day. <laughs> so certain snow elements and water elements didn't quite work out the way they wanted to. And some things were kind of slapped together. And uh, it, was kinda, it got people uh, certainly interested enough to uh, take another shot at it the next year. And later on that year, they did a few other events later that year. But uh, it had more of a kind of... Uh, you know, people slapping it together and seeing what works kind of feel to it. Gotcha. Yeah. So it did sound like they took a, a good play out of the tough guy playbook there, especially with the hoping for the cold. Cause I know that they were trying to the uh, walk the plank. If everyone remembers that supposed to be like a 12 or 15 foot platform. It was three feet off of the surface of the water that year. <laughs> uh, Berlin walls were still as tall as they ever were. They had three at the time. Uh, they had this big plastic slide that people were trying to go down to down the hill into this uh, pond, but it ripped open. <laughs> things things weren't really uh, you know tested back then. They were just kind of like uh, invented in your mind, and then they built it on the course. Did they have any upper body obstacles like uh, monkey bar type things, like Funky Monkey? No, that was be, uh, Funky Monkey didn't come until the next year. The first time I did it was in 2011, um, and they didn't actually have it open in 2011. They, before they lined the pits, they used to just dig holes and fill it with water, and up on the mountain, that didn't really work. It drained out. They closed it before I got to it in 2011 because someone dropped off the top and uh, popped a bone out of their shin. Mm, that'll do it. That'll they, didn't do have, it. they didn't have safety people until I <laughs> think like 2012 or 2013, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> a lot of things. It was a small company, and so they kind of learned by making mistakes. They they learned things the hard way at first. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there, I mean, for those of you who've seen behind the scenes now, it is a massive undertaking now, which I'll talk a little more about Night that and day. later. Yeah, I mean, it's insane. So when you went to that first one, were you like, all right, this is this will probably be a local thing, or were you like, Oh, they've got something special here. Like, what was I thought they mind? got something special there. There was a lot of media advertising at the time, and it was like my first. Like, I hadn't even done a 5K. I was, you know, go big or go home at the time. And I really uh, had never done any mountain stuff. And so I'd been doing a lot of elliptical things, thinking, hey, I got the setting pretty high. Surely this is similar. Yeah. But yeah. it was not. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's wild to see what it's become now. And oh, yeah. were at the, the first Tough Letter wasn't the only one that learned their, their lessons the hard way. <laughs> I was in that group. Yeah, that's pretty funny. All right, so, you know, each of you has is fairly, I, I think, fairly easily identifiable on the course. So I want to talk a little bit more about you guys personally before we start talking a little bit about some of the great stuff you've done. So, Francis... I mean, you're very recognizable from a distance because you're always carrying a giant rose. So tell me a little bit about, you know, what that rose represents and kind of why you do that. All right. Um, so a bit in the way back of uh, 2016, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And during her treatment, I gave her a plastic rose. And it was her forever rose. Um, and it, it, the idea came from the song one more day above the roses. And so in that song, it, it kind of just, it gives the details of live every day to the fullest. Each day is a gift and celebrate that day. And so when she was going through her treatments at night, it was kind of her darkest time, not just cause the sun was down, but, uh, she was more, always more of a night owl and, Visiting hours are over. Doctors are essentially gone. The nurses aren't really making rounds. Everyone's quiet down. And so she would just kind of be quiet in her room, waiting for the next day for when we would come visit. And I didn't like the fact that she was essentially just staring at the wall. So I gave her this plastic rose to kind of help be an inspiration because it would never wilt. It would never die. It would never fall away it would always be there staring back at her and she could stare at that to remind herself that when the sun did come up 
it was another day above the roses. It was another good day. And so when, when she, uh, when she passed away in 2017 and is now forever cancer free, I wanted to continue bringing that kind of shining light, that, uh, inspiration to people on course and to remind myself and everyone else that each day that we get is another good day. Cause it's another day above the roses. Love it. And thanks for sharing that. And yeah, I, I love that. You're like, she's forever cancer free. That that's awesome. And uh, I yeah, think I, the fact that you're still honoring her like this many years later and kind of, um, you know, remembering her memory, I'm sure would make her very proud. So. Yeah. And I, I, I like to look at it that way and not that she was defeated by cancer. Um, but more that she, she's forever beat it. She, it will never come back to, to hurt her again. Love it. And I know you've done some, uh, fundraising for, uh, St. Baldrick's and make a wish. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I've done, uh, th- this year specific. I did, uh, St. Baldrick's raising, uh, we've now raised, I com- completely shaved my entire head. So hair, beard, and eyebrows. Uh, JVT was a little reluctant on the eyebrow part. Uh, and then for Make-A-Wish, we've raised uh, over uh, $2,500 now. Nice. Uh, and again, this is all to just, it, it's to help kids because they, they, should, they should be allowed to be kids and not have to worry about cancer treatments or other critical illnesses that are robbing them of their childhood. Uh, Cause when I went through my little bit of, of cancer earlier this year, it, it was truly saddening to think that there are kids in this world that are more experienced and more understanding of treatments, the medical industry as a whole than I am as a 35 year old adult. I, yeah. So I, I wanted to do something to try and give back to children to give them their best chance at being kids again. Love it. And you broke, you broke up for a minute. How much did you say you raised for St. Baldrick's? Uh, St. Baldrick's we've raised over uh, $3,000 now. Nice. Good stuff. All right. Uh, jumping over to Joe. So Joe, I feel like you're identifiable because you wear these shorts and I'm not sure how I would describe them. Uh, but they're unique looking. So what's what's the deal with your uh, your shorts there? Uh, you know, I've I've bounced around a little bit the last few years, but I actually just I found these shorts. Uh, they were like these star spangled looking things. They're lacrosse shorts actually, and I really like them because they they held up great. They're uh, Flow Society. That's the brand. Give them a shout out, I guess. But um, yeah, I, I picked them up online actually because my first Tough mother, I was doing it with a couple other people I worked with. So we all went out wearing these same shorts and, and that was the thing. And then from there, it just, every time I've had to replace them, you know, only a few times in the past couple of years, they've taken a pretty good beating. Uh, I've tried to stay in kind of that, that red, white, and blue motif. And there's been, you know, the, uh, the Eagle shirts and I carried the flag for uh, a pretty good portion of the season there, at least on, you know, one event per weekend. So it's, it's been kind of just the, uh, the American red, white, and blue theme for a while there. That's been my thing. I've been a little bit more low key this year, but I also didn't actually know at the beginning of the season, how many events I was going to make it to and, and how much kind of sneaking in and out I was going to have to do because I'm on a little bit tighter schedule. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've been still, still keeping with the shorts as much as I can. And I got to, I have actually have a, a fresh pair of the originals that I finally found that I'm, I'm waiting for a special occasion to break out. We'll see what that turns into. Maybe worlds, maybe something sooner. Nice. Nice. And, uh, Ryan, you know, I see on your profile picture, both on you had it for a while on Facebook, and now you have it on your uh, Zoom logo there. Yeah, at one point you were carrying like a tire and a chain for for Spartans. It looks like an OCR. Yeah, that was for Spartans. That was uh, in 2012, 13, and 14, getting ready for my uh, Spartan death race events. Gotcha, gotcha. What'd you think of the death race? It was an experience, all right, but not one I could recount within 40 minutes. Uh, they started out as 24-hour events when I first signed up for it, but by the time it uh, came around to the year I was starting, my first one was 70, 72 hours, and my second one was 80. Oh wow! Do you make it all yeah. the way? To the, do you make it all the way to the end of them? Both years. 
No way. How did I not know Oh, this? yeah. That's awesome. Well, uh, congrats. It was something. <laughs> Thank <laughs> <you>. <laughs> what made you want to come back after making it to the end the first time? Oh, it was a good experience. It was a bad experience, but it was a good experience. It's um, it's kind of like how Tough Mudder OCR is. Uh, you met a lot of people, uh, especially a lot of people kind of working through personal demons. And it was just kind of a way to um, get away from life for a little bit. Gotcha. All right, now it's let's... It's hard to explain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, before we get to that, before I, again, I'm going to start jumping into Everest Angelink, but... Let's jump back to, right, so you each have Tough Mudders in the triple digits, which is insane. And, uh, I mean, you're starting to approach, you know, a lot of you are well on your way to 200. Um, so, you know, Francis, what keeps you coming back to Tough Mudder specifically? It, it really is helping other people achieve something that they didn't think they could the events you can't there's not a lot that's different you know when you do 15 to 30 events in a year you're doing the same obstacles you're doing similar courses things like that and for me it's really reaching out extending that hand and and you know helping people truly achieve something that they couldn't when they they were ready to walk around the obstacle and you say no Come on, we'll we will get you up and over this wall, this mud pit, this whatever. And after that, they are grateful beyond words. Sometimes even crying, and that really just motivates me to come back and keep doing it. Gotcha. Anyone have anything else? Anything to add? I mean, it's definitely for me, the people. It's a little different this year because of the pandemic. But uh, like Francis was saying, the, the teamwork obstacles have always been the best. Go out on the weekend, meet some new people. Uh, sometimes you, you know, stay in touch with them. And sometimes you just have, a, you know, share a really good event with for the day. And everybody kind of leaves happy. It's uh, just an all-around good experience. Gotcha. You know, some, something I can kind of add to that, too. It's funny. I can think of a specific experience. Um, it was at a, an event in New Hampshire a few years ago, and uh, a lot of people probably know E-Rock, who hasn't been around yet this year that I know of, but uh, you know, one of the, the start line MCs or you know, one of the hype guys, and he pulled me up at the start line, and you know, he's, he's telling everybody how many events I've done and, and you know, how I've made all these friendships and stuff, you know, my friendship with him included. And uh, you know, I, I spoke for a minute, and we start heading up this hill, and it was ski slope where you know, we're slogging up there, and actually my, my girlfriend who's done a, a bunch of events too was like oh, i just heard somebody talking about how like they can't believe that like you legitimately made all these friends and xyz and i was standing in that moment with people from maine from new york from uh you know the central part of the country like all over the place and we all just kind of laughed because really that's what's kept me coming back you know i i, I found tough butter at a time in my life where i needed some sort of outlet something else to you know to do and to kind of expand you know, what I was doing with myself and it, it came at the right time, but I, I kept coming back even more than the events because I have made some of the best friends I will ever make in my life. If you had told me as I was approaching 30, you know, almost a decade ago that I meet all these like-minded people who, who would become so close to me, I, I would have told you you were crazy. But here I am, you know, like I was saying just before we started, uh, road trip into a, a wedding for people I've met through Tough Mudder. Francis is actually going to be coming to stay with us for a minute other friends are coming and it's just, it's really that, that camaraderie thing isn't just, you know, dead air that we're blowing out there to, to say it. It's, it's really become the best friends I could ever hope to make. And that's a, a really incredible thing. Yeah. Love it. And you know, it seems the community just seems very welcoming, right? Like, I mean, even when I came to my very first, my first tough mode was actually a world's toughest and people were, like unusually friendly like it took it caught me i'm from new york originally it caught me off guard as people were like oh you know like talking to you and i was like oh like everyone's really friendly here and helpful and helping each other over obstacles and stuff so yeah yeah i'm from new jersey we have the same thing going on we don't want to be yeah. anybody so actually you are too aren't you great yeah i'm in new jersey now somebody come save me <laughs> <All right. laughs> 
calm down. All right. Now I know I've seen, um, you know, I, we talked a little bit at the beginning about Everest Angel, right? So you, you guys stand up there, you're pulling people up all night. Uh, I know Francis, I've seen picture, like you post pictures of your hands after the event, you know, what pulling all these, you know, you know, thousands, literally thousands of people up a wall all night, you know, what is that doing to your body? Um, for the most part, it, it actually isn't too bad. Um, you know, un- unless you, you do the, the tweak in, in your back, which, yeah, I guess I did a little bit at, uh, Chicago toughest this year. Um, but my arms are usually okay. My, my grip strength, uh, is something I try and focus on cause I don't want to drop people. So my grip is usually decent. Um, but it's depending upon the event and where it is, and, uh, how they, where they put Everest on course with respect to other obstacles and, and, uh, natural, uh, features, it can absolutely just tear your hands up. Um, and, and by that it's when, you know, if, if the person you're helping up has a bunch of sand on their hand and they grab your hand, the, <laughs> the sand just gets mashed into your hand and just, it rips your skin completely raw, especially when it's done a thousand, 2000, however many hundreds of times, uh, over the course of helping all these people. Um, really the hands are proud and just the, and it's usually the skin on the back of your hand that takes the biggest beating. Um, it's, it, it hurts. And I'm sure we all, uh, can admit that this has happened where we will just randomly let out a swear word. Cause that, you know, that one person has just way too much grit on and it's 6am and it just at that one time it kills more than almost any, any other time. But even then, you know, a a few days passes after and, you know, everything kind of starts coming back to normal and that pain goes away and, but you're still left with that full heart and, and feeling grateful for having helped so many people. Love it. Ryan, anything to add to that? Oh yeah, I've I've taped my hand up before, and I've tried using gloves. That sand is really rough. The only other thing is, uh, you know, sometimes when people run up and and reach for your hand, they'll grab your thumb by accident and just kind of hang all their weight off of that. I think that probably is the the worst part for me. But this year, with how uh, gritty Everest is, I'm not asking anyone to let go and try again. <laughs> And, uh, you know, you mentioned it a little bit there, but, you know, so what, let's say I'm an athlete, you know, running laps at Toughest Mudder and you guys are pulling me up, you know, what, what's the the best technique for me to make it easier for you guys? You know, like, where should I be grabbing? Should I be be pulling up? Yeah, let's go with this year because I don't think Everest is changing anytime soon. Oh, it's, I was just looking at a video from um, Francis and I from 2017, the first time we did it. And you can tell that Everest has changed a lot. Uh, oh, yeah. One of, the, one of the harder things to deal with is the ropes are slicker and skinnier. They've switched to nylon ropes, I guess, because they're more weather resistant, but they're harder to use. So I'd say if, if you're trying to get up Everest, uh, what you're going to want to do is first uh, pick a rope and don't run up to it unless you're really confident in your running abilities because it gets wet at night. Um, walk up to the rope. Climb it as high as you can, and then just try and get your foot onto the highest knot possible. Press yourself flat against the uh, flat against the obstacle, and then when people grab you, uh, try and pull yourself up or or do kind of like um, for heavier people, we have them do this kind of like ladder thing where they push one arm forward, then push the other arm forward, and then pull up, and then push, and then push. It makes it easier to to pull them over. Slow and steady is normally the best, I'd say. Gotcha. Gotcha. C- controlled is a big deal, too. Uh, you know, yeah. there's there's more than one way to skin an Everest, but at sure. the end of the day, whatever whatever is the most controlled thing, I, I don't know how you would describe tunnel vision in audio form, but it's funny how sometimes we can be literally verbally coaching people as hard as we can, and the exact opposite thing is happening. And it's like, we'll, <laughs> we'll walk you right through this, and they're just 
they're just looking at you like a deer in the headlights. But at the same time, we've all been out there and we've all had events where we've gone for it, you know, as to the best of our respective abilities. And you know what it's like being in that mindset where you're just, you're so physically and mentally trained and it's like nothing's registering the way it's supposed to. And, and that's kind of almost those experiences sometimes can be even better because it's like, you know, at a point where someone might otherwise give up and, and, you know, either go take a penalty or even turn their chip in, which we've seen happen. You know, sometimes we're able to actually like pull those people back in literally and, you know, physically and, and keep their event going. And that's a, a pretty rewarding part of this. I would say all of that and to be willing to adapt with us um, because we, but between the three of us and, and all the other Everest angels, uh, and, and participants that have done uh, or have worked, have stayed on Everest for a long time. We know a lot of different ways to get somebody up and over that wall. Um, and that first way may not work for everyone involved. So trying it again and adapting to see what technique maybe may work better a second time uh, is, is really important. Um, and I mean, uh, Ryan this year really just, especially with the, the ropes that they, they put up there. I mean, there's times when he's literally just he there, the participants just hanging on the rope and he's just pulling the rope up cause they can't climb up the rope enough until, you know, Joe and I can grab their hands and then pull them the rest of the way. So ad adapting and really seeing what works for everyone in that moment, but, maybe taking a second moment to try again before, as Joe said, you know, before you take that penalty, before you essentially do the ultimate thing and turn your timing chip in. I mean, there, there's always another way to do it. Yeah. Great. And yeah, complex problem solving. Love, love that you guys are, you know, got all this, these tips and tricks up your bet in your bag that uh, can help people, you know, get to their goals. And I know the, the three of you are not the, you know, I, I just grabbed three of you for the podcast because, um, you're the names I see the most or the faces I see the most up there, but I know there's been a whole bunch of other people that have helped you um, and helped the Tough Mudder community over the years. Uh, Francis, you want to give us a rundown of the other, the other names real quick? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try and do it from memory as much as I can because um, I, I don't have the list in front of me right now, but uh, it's, it, it really is, it's a growing list and now, the Everest angel idea of not exactly sacrificing your race, but part of your race being the idea to help others has, is starting to spread to other obstacles. And I, and I think that's absolutely fantastic, especially in a competitive event where it's more everyone else against everyone else. There's still that mindset of teamwork and camaraderie. Um, so for, for all the Everest angels that I can think of, there's, uh, Glenn Brooks, there, uh, Ashley Russell, Jason Harley, Bobby Singh, Michael Bever, Andrew Blakely, uh, Brian Herzog, Jim Campbell, Jeff Musel. Uh, there's, uh, obviously Joe Van Tassel, Ryan Cray, uh, Nick Shook, and I know there's more. Oh, Joe Herman. Ah, man, I, almost, I, I almost forgot the. I almost forgot the koala. I feel koala Joe there. Herman. <laughs> koala Joe Herman. Um. So I, 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 there's there's there are many more because while we may be at a lot of the events, there have been events that none of us have been to, um, and or done the Everest angeling at. And I don't, I, I never like to leave people out of it, but I know all of those people I have intimately shared Everest with. Um, I've shared the experience of helping people for countless hours up and over a wall where their race wasn't going to plan, but they weren't going to stop they decided, okay, fine. I'm not doing what I need to do. And I'm going to reach out and make sure everyone else achieves what they want to achieve. And a, one of the last Everest angel that I can think of is a, and a perfect example of this. Someone, 
uh, Evan, I know you know, is Wesley Kerr. Yeah. And back in 2017, the Boston Toughest, uh, yep. I, th- I think he was like it was lap four for him or five, somewhere in there, more than I can do. And he just wasn't having a race. Like it wasn't going well for him at all. And he still stayed on. He he decided he was going to come and stay on Everest for a while. And I think he stayed for two or three hours, something like that. Yeah. He, I remember seeing him a couple, couple of laps. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that that's really where it just, it's fantastic. It's amazing. Yeah, I know you mentioned that you've seen some of it kind of spill over to other obstacles. Like I know at the last was it one or two events, there was uh, people at Mudderhorn. You know that yep. that actually the last event because it was because the Mudderhorn was a reverse in Poconos. But at the last right. event, people were helping. You know, on a couple laps, I came through, then someone gave me a boost, and I was like, "Oh, well, this is pleasant." And I wasn't I wasn't expecting that. So, all right, so you know, you guys are up there all night pulling people up. I think it, you know. Obviously, I'm coming through a lot, so I'll see you guys, and I, I realize it's it's you, and I, you know I've been to multiple events. How many people do you think not are don't realize that it's the same group of people pulling them up every lap? Do, do you think most people know that? There's I think, definitely. I think most people have. Okay. I've seen some people surprised that we're still there, but they certainly they're like, "Hey, you guys are still here." <laughs> yeah, you you get a handful of people that are like they're ready to tag you out, and like credit where it's due. I appreciate that. Some people aren't ready to just race down that backside and keep going. But every now and then, people are like, oh, I got it. You guys want to keep going? It's like, do you not remember seeing us <laughs> every, other, every other lap? Like, we're not – this is not a, a, an anomaly. You know, the, this is where we are. You know? And it's especially when it's – when that happens and it's like 4 a.m. or 3 a.m., somewhere in the middle of the night where you know that – well, we don't know for sure, but – They've most likely been through this obstacle at least once before. Yeah. And, how, you know, as Joe said, do you not remember us? I, you know, were, were you at a different section of the wall and you only saw one of us and not the other one? Like, and it, it does depend upon when, you know, when they kind of get up the wall or the first few times they've, they've gotten up the wall because early in the, in the event when Everest first opens, it's, it's the busiest, it's the busiest it'll ever get. And depending upon how many of us are up there, uh, you know, sometimes we we usually pair off in groups of two um, and and a third will join where needed. Uh, Sometimes we can do it singularly, especially with this new Everest. It almost is easier sometimes. Um, But if, if there's eight of us up there, yeah, yeah, you may never see the other the other groups of people at all, but it it still gets weird when they have to have seen us. <laughs> I've I've also found like the opposite is true. People who've never seen us before come back for other laps, and they'll point to someone up at the top and be like, "You got me right," and it's like, "Cause you got me last time." <laughs> yeah, when people start getting tired towards the end of event. They start getting really cautious. And I've yeah, seen a you, lot of times there have been people who've like picked one of us on top of the wall and they're like, well, it worked last time and I'm not taking any chances this time. Yeah. Some of them will remember you real quick. Yeah. You, you develop sometimes a real instant uh, rhythm with people that you've never seen before in your life. You might never see again, but they're just like, I know this worked. I know exactly what I need. And it's like, they'll they're up and over in four seconds, but it's yeah. every, you know, every hour and 15 <laughs> minutes that person's there and they're pointing at you and, and that's always kind of one of my favorite things is I like that I'm contributing in such a way that they're like, their confidence is just like, they're there, let's do it. And they're on their way again. And it's, it's nice to be able to, you know, to help somebody keep cranking along like that. And, and you'll get the people too, that will, they won't go to anybody else. They, they'll, they'll be like, no, I, JVT got me up last time. I'm going to JVT. It's like, <laughs> oh. Yeah. Craig can do it too. I've seen him. Like I, I trust him. And it's like, all right, no, okay, you're going to Joe. Fine. Hey, I'm always you know supposed what? to leave to see Craig up there because I'm a, I'm a big boy, and uh, you know, no offense to anyone else, but I, I, I outweigh most of the other people that are up there. So knowing that Craig's got me for a good pull is always a, a little bit of a relief. Yeah, us big boys, we're paranoid folks when it comes to people uh, hauling us up and onto things or lifting us. For sure. 
Yeah, I and, usually uh, I usually yeah. beeline towards Francis just because I can identify him from from far away, and I'm uh, <laughs> <laughs> he Francis is my go-to, so I I usually point at him. But uh, if if Maybe it looks like a little silhouette, <laughs> if, if it, it, yeah, <laughs> if it looks like he's busy, I'll I'll, I'll I go to whoever's uh, whoever's open. But I, and yeah. honestly, I I every time I've any use any of you guys, I've I've gotten up no problem. So um, it's just I get into these rhythms where it's like. All right, this is the lane I take for this obstacle. This is the lane I take for this one. And Francis is the one I run to when I run up Everest. <laughs> yeah, you never know who's behind him, though. You might have Joe Herman there hanging onto a leg, uh, making sure everything's going the way it's supposed to. The unseen heroes sometimes, out of sight, out of mind, but still doing their parts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and especially with this new Everest, um, it, it's made it not only a challenge for, I would say, the person running up it, but for helping at the top of it it's it's posed new challenges as well and you know there's there's numerous times at chicago toughest i was hanging off the back of joe's legs um just acting as a counterweight to make sure that you know no one was going back down the wrong way of everest uh and sliding back down so uh it's 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 teamwork all around gotcha so, uh, you know, Ryan, if someone's listening to this podcast and they're like, oh, this is something I want to be a part of. I want to become an Everest Angel. I want to help you guys. You know, what's the process? Do they need to reach out in advance? Can they just show up and plop they up? Just, the- they private message me. I give them an address to send $200 and I <laughs> in an envelope. <laughs> and then I give them the secret handshake. <laughs> Uh, honestly, I'm, I'm not the one to ask you about that. Most of the time that I've done it, I've kind of shown up and joined the group uh, last minute. Gotcha. Uh, there's only been once or twice where I've, I've been up there by prearrangement. Um, Francis, I think, uh, tends to get a lot of that together. Francis, what do you got to say about that? It, it's I've, I've gotten it kind of multiple ways. I've, I've had people message me before an event saying, hey, you know, I – I think I want to do that this time. And we actually had a, a, a one of our newest uh, Everest Angels, Troy. And I again, I can't believe I forgot him because the event was only two weeks ago. But Troy messaged me thinking, you know, hey, I, I don't think I'm going to really do this. Uh, the, the event normally can, you know, can I join you guys for Everest Angels? And I don't own the obstacle. Uh, you know, Tough Mudder does. And I may have spent a lot of time up there, but I encourage everyone that wants to do it, do it, you know, and show up, just make sure you've got some food and fluids because 10, 12 hours, just staying in one spot unsupported is it can suck. Um, yeah. And the only reason we, I know Ryan and I both know this is that's kind of how the first, our first Everest angel occurred was it was on our second lap, completely unplanned. And we stayed there for five hours. Luckily, we had people that were willing to just give us some of their food and snacks and beverages that they had brought through the course for themselves. And so it uh, are getting a little hairy up there at that point. I, I remember yeah. us like splitting half bars of, of like protein bars and, and gel that was, packets. That was half eaten from somebody alternating else. Alternating swigs back from a, a bottle. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was not well planned whatsoever. Um, but I mean, we've, we've had people just, you know, uh, find us at the start line that have just met up at the obstacle and they're like, Oh, we were planning on doing it too. And I'm like, cool. More, the more hands, the better it, it makes it easier for everybody. Nice. Um, and it's, I don't think that, you know, if, if somebody wants to know more about it, totally feel free to message me on, on any of the social media, but just do it plan your plan your event and and have a blast doing it just you know get out there do you guys get cold sitting up there or are you working enough where you're generating enough body heat to stay warm i think jvt's got a great story for this i have definitely learned my lessons the hard way you know i the first few times i did it i didn't plan to actually do it it just turned out that glenn had m&ms and i'm easily distracted but uh it's it's definitely like I I think I had my best contribution, my most successful event this past time in Chicago because I learned a lot in Poconos, uh, showing up wet and just you know it's you're great for like the first 
45 minutes an hour if you're, if you're coming into that, you know, after coming out of water obstacles. And then that cold sets into your bones. And the next thing you know, you're wrapped up literally in the signage from, uh, from Everest, like a big dumb burrito, <laughs> not contributing anything and actually almost hurting the situation because they had to, luckily they were nice enough to uh, close some of the lanes for me so that I could lay on the backside of it. But um, yeah, if you, if you want to do it ahead of time and that's part of your plan, get yourself a small dry bag, stuff a, a quick change of clothes in there and, you know, throw on a pair of dry shorts and a t-shirt and you could be up there in the fifties if you're working enough that you're staying nice and comfortable. Um, and at the same time, it's, if you show up and you're wet and it's 75, you might end up freezing your butt off while you're up there. So a little bit of pre-planning will go a long way towards that if it's something you want to do. And if it's not part of your race plan, but it comes in a focus, like Francis was talking about with Wesley, then, you know, embrace that, do what you can. And if you contribute a little bit, that's incredible. That's, you're going to make someone's night. There's so many people that reach out to us after this, like, you guys helped me so much, you know, I've never seen you this before, but you're the reason I kept going. You guys got me over that. Um, in Chicago, they were doing this bear crawl penalty that we were watching kill people. And the fact that we can keep some people's race going by letting them not have to do that thing, that's huge. So if you even contribute that to just one, two, three people, whatever, it's, you know, you don't know what a difference that might make for someone else's event, for their experience for their tough mutter, you know, that could be the thing that brings them back. Yeah. I've, I've, I've had participants reach out where, uh, and, and I would say probably the, the biggest one, uh, outside of world's toughest mutter and Ryan, I don't know if you'll agree on this, but it was at the Chicago 2017 event where the penalty was, it was something like a half mile. It's like a half mile walk. Yeah. Walk, run, sludge whatever you wanted to call it and after the event people were coming up to us saying you're the reason why i got contender status you're the reason why i made my goal you're the reason why i'm on the podium and i was i was in shock i was like i what do you mean like i was just up there helping and i hadn't i didn't know what the penalty was at that at during the entire event and so knowing that we saved people possibly even an hour of time, depending upon how, how much, how long it was taking them to do that penalty. It's, it, it was a great feeling. Yeah. Absolutely. There were a lot of feelings that night. Yeah. That was our second event, lap. So, sure. so we were wet when we got to the top of it. It rained that night. It, yeah. It rained the entire yeah. event. We had, and, and we I remember I couldn't make it King back to swingers. my car. Yeah. It was, yeah, we, we got there soaking wet. We never dried. Then I just stand there shaking my fingers, picking up and head close to the car. Speaking of bad penalties, after the Poconos, how, how, much, how much of that bear crawl at Chicago was your fault <laughs> from complaining to uh, uh, TMHQ? It, it, it might have been all of it. Yeah, it's a pretty bold move to complain about penalties you're never going to have to do. <laughs> well, that is, but you know, the Poconos, it was kind of a light penalty, and and we're like, ah. well, and and <laughs> something have- that that I in in talking with a few people and seeing the 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 top participants, where knowing that races have been won or lost just off of penalties. And I know that's with, that's with Spartan. That's with any, any uh, competitive OCR event and really anything that has a penalty in it, period. It's at Poconos this year, you could get through the Everest penalty in 10 to 15 seconds. Yeah. Where yeah, by, by the end were, of it, they were basically just letting people walk through it. So yeah, yeah, and where you it, you had the top athletes, top participants still coming up Everest, reaching for our hands. Hell, there were still people doing it by themselves. Yeah, none of them. Yes, none you, of the, yes, none using of the, top the rope, skipped but, it for time. Right, and it, it, it would take them it, even if you were the fastest possible. You're still spending at least a minute, minute and a half. Maybe two I'd say a minute and a half because the climb off the back took some time too. It, well, and and that's it's that's, like, that's a time, time. Yeah. 
is the is the climb down off the back safely for the fast people yeah and i i did not think that was fair yeah where you know you you could make up a 30 minutes just based off taking the one everest penalty yeah and so i i mentioned it to tmhq and yeah they 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 made penalties a little bit harder um but you know a, a penalty should always be as physically draining and 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 or mentally as the obstacle itself or worse right because it you it shouldn't be an incentive to take the penalty i i gotta say i did feel a little pride in as a tough mutter in in the poconos watching all those people competing and going for distance and, and mileage awards and everything uh, continue to do that obstacle when they easily could have saved like a quarter yes. mile of running at the speed they were going just by doing the, the penalty. And, and just in general, it was the people who were like really broken and tired that skipped Everest. And, you know, oftentimes with good cause, it was, it's like a pain. It was a painful one this year. But Oh, but yeah. People kept attempting it, even though they even though they knew that it was a lot easier to, and faster to go around it. So I, I felt a little bit of pride as a tough mutter watching the people do that through the night. Well, and and I would say at almost every event where we've done this Everest angeling, there's a lot of pride when you when you when your hands get that sore, when your arms are starting to cramp, and you're tired. Because you you don't get a break, you don't get that minute to just kind of sit there, recoup. It's like nope, there's another person waiting to get up because they want to do the obstacle, they want yeah. to attempt it, they want to get over and conquer this thing, whether it's their third time, whether it's their uh, the tenth time, whatever it may be, they're still they're still going for it. I was I was on the other side of it in Chicago this year because I was with a, a team doing laps. Ooh, in the morning, getting getting the courage to to do Everest again. It it gets harder each each lap you do. It really does. And you still see people at the end of the night just walking up to it and going, "I'm doing it." They, they they'll be limping or they'll be like, "I got this one bad arm or I got this one bad knee, but I'm trying it." You guys got me. I'm not doing the penalty. Even when the penalties, most of the time, the penalty is kind of harsh. But even when the penalty is not so harsh, you still see that that motivation, that that pride in their eyes that they're gonna they're gonna make it again. And let's let's take it to the regular events too. There's no penalty for a regular Saturday or Sunday. You can't do it. You can walk right around it. There's no shame in that game. We all know that part, you know. Hmm. But my favorite thing, and Francis and I have had so many conversations about this. I don't know why Everest is ever anywhere on course, but where you can see it from the from the finish area or the festival area. Because the best individual accomplishments that you'll see through teamwork are at Everest. I have never heard anyone cheer on course the way a crowd of strangers will when someone who refused to quit gets over that thing. It's, it's the absolute best. There's nothing like it. Because they get up to the top and they're hugging you and they're shaking your hands and they're saying, I couldn't have done that without you. And it, that's not the case. They only did it because they wanted to, because they kept going after it until they had it they kicked the crap out of it they got it done and it's it's a hundred percent because they had that determination to drive there's nothing else like it it's that's one of the best things i think that's what draws all of us to it we're not we're, we don't do this because we want everyone to reach out to us and tell us you know, how much they appreciate it we do it because you know we all were that person at some point in our tough mother career where we needed that boost that hand whatever it was and being able to pay that back and give that to people like it's it's the rewarding aspect of it for me, and that's that's what I love the most. Like I said, you know, there's even when there's no penalty on the line, even when the easiest thing in the world would be to just keep going, they just grind it out, and I love that. And and uh, the one thing I'll add to that too is, we've helped I would say just about every type of person up and over Everest, uh, whether you're small, big, disabled, not disabled, whether whatever it may be. We've helped just about every single person you can think of up and over that wall. And the only person that won't make it up over that wall is the person that doesn't want to, that gave up. So as long as you're not going to give up, we won't give up either. 
we'll get you up over that wall one or another. We'll adapt as a group to get you there. But you have to want. Love it. Absolutely great input. You know, and I know every one of my placements and, you know, mileage goals, like you guys have played a, a portion of that, right? Like I, I would not be there without, you know, you guys helping me. So personal thank you for me. Absolutely. And then on top of that, you were talking about some of the penalties being not hard, not super hard, which one, I completely agree with you. And two, you know, even, even if the penalty is not bad, like when I get over Everest, like I still feel good, right? Like it still feels like I accomplished something and it feeds into like a positive feedback loop for my race, right? So like if I'm knocking out obstacle after obstacle and I got to Everest and like had through the penalty, even if it wasn't bad, it like, it chips away at some of that motivation. So, um, you know, going into Everest back in like some of the early races, um, uh, when you guys weren't up there, or I didn't know you guys were going to be up there the whole time, you know, it was, it, it was a, it was a little point of stress, right? Cause I'm like, all right, well, what am I going to do with the Everest or like, am I going to be able to make it up every lap? And, you know, from now it's just like, well, I know the, those guys are going to be up there. So it's not, it's not even a point of concern, right? Like I can focus on other more pressing issues for my race. So this is a well, quick, my, go for myself it, being a smaller guy, I'm, I, I think that all the time when I get to Everest, I, you know, I, I have sold Everest. I've done it a, a, a bunch of times, but every time I walk up to it, I'm like, is, is today the day that I don't, I'm not going to be able to do it by myself or I need that hand. So I still am that extremely grateful guy that I get help up and over, whether it be from, you know, Ryan and Joe or any of the other guys, you know, of, of that we're kind of usually grouped with, or if it's just two, two random people up on that wall, I, I'm beyond grateful for it. And whether I I did eighty percent of the work or they did eighty percent of the work, I it still feels amazing every time to get up and over that wall. Absolutely. All right, we're gonna start wrapping things up. Um, before we get going, we have, well, two two final questions. So, where can people find you guys? Like, where, what events are you gonna be at? Whether it be Tough Motor or if you're going to any other OCRs uh, for the rest of 2021. We'll start off with uh, Francis. Um, oh. Uh, I, I think this year it, it's starting to wrap up quick. The only other events I most likely will make it to this year is going to be where I plan to get my uh, fifth world's toughest mutter and also be Everest angeling again there for 24 hours. Gotcha. Uh, Ryan? Uh, I got New Jersey, Pittsburgh, uh, D.C., and Worlds left. And I'm trying to see if I can work it out with work to make it down to Florida in December because that would actually be my first uh, tough uh, birthday weekend, Tough Mudder. I think that would be pretty cool if I could do that. That's um, also the Spartan World, Tough Mudder weekend, right? It is. That's the Spartan Tough Mudder weekend. Yeah. And uh, at Worlds, I'm, I'm not going to be Everest Angeling. I'm, I'm with a group, uh, same group from last year, my partner, Dee, and, and her sister, uh, and possibly if i see tom mamming again we're we're going for hopefully 35 this year which is our stretch goal and uh we're looking forward to see how it looks out in in nevada again yeah uh jvt what do you got uh i definitely got pittsburgh that's my home course looking to do dc signed up for worlds and then i'll actually be staying out in the area we'll do laughlin uh the following weekend for the regular event we're also actually going to be uh trying to make it out to Seattle and my girlfriend and I are going to do the overnight. We'll, uh, we'll try to be up there on Everest helping everybody out. Like usual, uh, kind of came together at the last minute. Mitchell, one of the TMH two people who's been really great was talking to Francis and I at the end of Chicago. And he kind of put that, that worm in my head to try and get out there. So we're going to take a stab at that one. Nice. All right. Now we'll kind of close it out with, you know, tell us one thing people would be surprised to know about you. So we'll start off with, uh, Francis. Oh, um, some of the, they would be surprised. Uh, Everest is not my favorite obstacle. <laughs> um, as, as I mentioned before, you know, every time uh, being a short guy, especially when that they've made it taller this year, uh, it's hard. Why? So while I, I love helping on it, I hate doing it. I just, every time, I, every time I get to that obstacle, 
and it's not open yet for a toughest and I can climb up the backside with my gear pack, uh, it, it, that lifts me up. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I didn't have to do it. I'll help all you guys do it, but I didn't have to do it. And I, I think you mentioned you in your, your favorite obstacle is double rainbow. Was that correct in the, in the bio? Yeah. Uh, it's, it, it is one of my absolute favorite obstacles that I've ever done. It, I, uh, I agree with that. So if, if people don't know, essentially it was double king of swingers, right? So you, it's that, that, that lever bar, right? So you, you jump on yeah. grab it, and then you connect to another one. And then you essentially on the, instead of falling into the water, you essentially run off a giant inflatable pad. Yeah. So. And at, at fir- the first, I think two times I did it, uh, I failed it and that sucked. And then I, after seeing other people that, uh, the, the kind of team we were on, seeing them do it, see a bunch of other people, I finally figured out the rhythm. And the very first time I got it, that was amazing. And then every, every lap after that, that I, it was, I was fine too. Cause being a, again, a shorter guy, I've only ever completed King of Swingers once or twice. I only ever hit that bell a few times. So completing double rainbow was, it was just, it was fantastic. I agree with that. And then on top of that, as a competitive person, you're, I'm actually moving faster on that s- small section than I am running. Right. Cause I'm, you're flying right. through the air and then you come off of that second uh, pendulum with like all this momentum. So you just keep running. So I loved it. It's yeah. like a speed boost. Reminds me of like Mario Kart running over the, uh, the speed boost things. All right, Ryan, what do you got? Um, you know, this would probably surprise the people who've spent time with me on course more than anyone else. But uh, I'm, I'm a veterinary technician. I uh, used to manage until last year a veterinary practice and uh I, I do not use any profanities at work at all to the point where uh, my coworkers thought I did not have any sense of humor because of my office demeanor. Nice. nice. If, if you've ever spent time with me, if you, Francis and JVT have probably backed this up, that would come as a surprise. I have, <laughs> that, a, different, I have a different on-course personality. That, that is a surprise to me, actually, right yeah. now. Yeah, I'm surprised you think you have a sense of humor. All right, JVT, what do you got? You know, actually, it's funny. My answer is not entirely different from Ryan's, and it's I, I think what would surprise a lot of people um, is that the the way I am on course, it's, you know, not to steal from Sean, but it's a mirror of all the energy I'm getting back from people. You know, Tough Butter has, for years now, been my leisure activity, and it's 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 a reciprocation of, of the way that this community has made me feel, and it's you know, I, I, I run into a lot of people that think that I must be like this all the time, and it's not always the case. And it's it's just I'm so lucky to have found this thing and to have these experiences. And, you know, it's it's just such a reward. I think that would surprise a lot of people that, you know, this is not not who I am every day, but it's it's who I get to be because people give that to me. And I'm just I'm really grateful for that. Gotcha. Good stuff. All right. Well, uh, thank you guys for joining me. Uh, it's been great to find out more about you guys and all the great work you've been doing and contributing to the Tough Motor community. Uh, any final shout-outs you want to give, friends, families, uh, et cetera? Again, we'll go around the horn real quick. Francis? Uh, I would say my, my biggest shout-out, besides friends and family, of, of course, for the help and support and motivation, but a big thank you would be to, to Kyle at TMHQ. Um, the effort that he's put in and all of the team HQ team over the past few years, uh, tough mutter literally wouldn't be around without them. And the, the continued effort that he puts in at every single event, he'll, he'll be walking around. Yeah. He's the CEO, but he'll stop. If there's a huge line at check-in, he'll be checking people in. If, if something needs to be done on course, I've seen him mending uh, course tape, you know, setting up for a toughest overnight. He, he literally is doing whatever is needed to get done. And he is truly a leader on, on uh, event day. Yeah. He's um, so responsive for a while. I was like, I was like, is this guy actually the CEO or they just have him as like a, like a public relations dude. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I, I was for like months. I was like, I was like, I don't think this guy's actually the CEO. I think he's just a public relations dude that they're they've propped up as CEO and they're someone else is doing all the work behind the scenes. But no, he's legit. And the uh, like you said, there's so much work I got to see behind the scenes when I did uh, Indiana for tough for Infinite Hero Honor Challenge, and I was just shocked at the number of people and resources and effort that goes into every event. So you know when. When one little thing goes wrong and 99% of the things go right, I think, uh, you know, we should all just take a, a minute and remember all the things that went right. So, and, and it really comes down to, you know, thanking Team HQ, thanking the medical staff and the volunteers, because there, there's a lot of work that goes into making what we have a lot of fun doing on all <laughs> these, these weekend events. It, it, you know, send that thank you back to them too. All right, Ryan. Uh, well, of course, I'd also uh, agree with everything that Francis says about Kyle. He's been doing a great job since since he took over. Uh, I got a, a whole bunch of friends, too many to name, that I've met through and stayed with on, on Tough Mudder. So uh, everyone, you know who you are. Uh, you're the reason I keep coming back. And then uh, I guess I'd expand it a little bit to say a big thank you to all the volunteers that always make such a do a great job especially the, the people from the community who go and, and volunteer overnight at Toughest because that's kind of a hard volunteer shift to do and everyone kind of appreciates them out there on course, making sure everyone's safe, kind of uh, talking to us while we're, while we're out there, even during regular classic events and just overall being great and, and helping keep everything going. JVT, what do you got? Yeah, I'll throw one more tally mark on the volunteers. You know, if, if you ever get the chance, pick up a volunteer shift. It's, it's something else. Um, a few other people, actually. Uh, John Sandregret from Merrill, one of the best people you could hope to meet, and, and just made things so great when you know when they were a part of things, and, and still you know great to uh, a great friend to have. Uh, Brad from Everyman Jack, and these are just personal experiences, things they contributed to help me do some fundraising and stuff for other things as an ambassador. Um, you know, these are things that they didn't necessarily have to do. They they just had to make sure their product shows up, but they they really got involved in this community and, and, and lived it wholeheartedly. And these, these brands come out, they help make the events continue to work. So, you know, just shouting out those two guys real quick. Um, Sean Corvella, obviously Clinton Jackson, a man with the biggest heart in the world. I love him to death. Emily McHugh, people that, you know, have, have put me up at, at times when I was traveling out on the road. And, and like Brian said, you know, friends that I've made, you know who you are and it would take, you know, gotcha. Again, thanks. And the for those of you who headed to Toughest or World's Toughest, want to pick up leg mitts, teamstrengthspeed.com. We got uh, small, medium, and large in both extreme and lights available on our website. If you want some some good information to help you prepare for Toughest Mudder or World's Toughest Mudder or Spartan Ultra Beast or any kind of endurance obstacle course racing. Also on Amazon and on teamstrengthspeed.com, there's the Muttering Guides Ultra OCR Bible. So kind of the most comprehensive guide available and actually the only uh, book on the topic so you can you can check that out and then for you tough mutter fans make sure you head over to the no excuses podcast uh sean corvell's podcast and head back and listen by the time this comes out it'll be probably a couple weeks ago but uh i'm on the most recent episode i talked got to talk to sean corvell about some of my experience in the military and some of the ultra endurance stuff i did which was honestly pretty cool because i felt i felt like super special that I, I had Sean Carvel's like 100% complete attention because I'm used to like there's this giant crowd um, so that was kind of a, a cool personal experience for me so, so make sure you head over and listen to that and then head over to the Tough Mudder website for those of you who are looking for a different experience and you know Everest Angeling may not be your thing but you still want to give back and contribute uh, there's a new event called Tough Mudder Infinite Hero Honor Challenge so myself and Johnny Little uh worker from uh, Tough Mudder who's been around since 2014. Going to help him run the backside stuff of that. So if you go to Tough Mudder and check on their Infinite Hero Honor Challenge uh, link, there's three articles on there. One of them is what is Infinite Hero Honor Challenge? It gives you a rundown. The other one is, you know, what are some of the challenges you'll face being? Kind of describes a little more details about the event. And then the other one is like, you know, where's the inspiration coming from and who are the people kind of running this thing? So definitely head over and check that out. I know if you have a Tough Mudder season pass you can essentially get the entry into the event for free but you still have to do the fundraising for infinite hero honor foundation which provides uh mental and physical support to veterans of the uh, military there so lots of great stuff coming down 
Um, I will not be at Toughest Seattle. Uh, so that is the same weekend as OCR World Championships. So I had to, I had to make a tough decision there. So, but I'm headed out to Vermont. So I'll see some of you there. And on that, I will see you at Infinite Hero Honor Challenge events. And I will see all of you at World's Toughest, obviously, because that's the biggest event of the year for me. All right. I think that's a good rundown. Thanks again, guys, for coming on. Thanks for all you do for the community. And uh, we will catch all of you later. Thanks, Evan. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us.